It is great to be with you this morning. Uh, I love this church. Uh, it is my first time here with you uh, as a church on a Sunday morning, but I love Justin and his family. Uh, and I find myself recommending people to come here often. Uh, actually, this week I was just meeting with a person uh, who is close to South Tampa. I said, you should visit Christ Covenant Life Church. You'll be blessed by that church. So, and, and I love Justin. He's a friend. Uh, someone was asking me about him recently, and I said, think about a Puritan from England who planted a church in Tampa. Uh, that is Justin. <laughs> it's like someone that you took from England in 1650, and you put that person in South Tampa, and he's pastoring there with that tenderness, steadiness, sweetness of the Puritan. So, so grateful for you, brother. Glad to be here. And I, and I said that as a compliment. Yes. <laughs> So Psalm 67, uh, the passage that was just read to us, uh, is one of those passages. It's called a missionary psalm. The knowledge, the praise, and the enjoyment of God by all nations of the earth resound in these verses. What I would like to do this morning is, and this is what I do, I take a passage, I give you what is the main thought, the main idea that the passage is is communicating to us, what is the point of the passage? And then I would like to draw kind of three practical applications from this passage. But let me first give you the main thought, and then I would like to do some kind of biblical foundation of this passage, because I think this psalm is so rich, because it brings almost the whole Bible together. And it it is a beautiful work of biblical theology. Uh, And I think you use the expression, like it holds hands with the, whole, with the rest of the Bible. So this passage, this psalm, does that for us. So this is the main thought, for those of you who take note. You have been blessed by God for the glory of God among the nations. You have been blessed by God for the glory of God among the nations. One way to say this is blessed to be a blessing, which is the theme of the conference. Blessed to be a blessing. So in verse 1 and 2, which form one stanza, we find, which is a, we find a prayer here. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So this is passage here is looking back in the rest, in the, into the Old Testament, actually into the Pentateuch, and then it's also looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it gives us one of those passages that is looking to the promises of God to Abraham and the word of Moses in Numbers in the Pentateuch, and then he's looking back to Jesus on the Great Commission. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. He's taking the words of Numbers 6, and he's using the priestly blessing from Numbers, and he's appropriating the words from Numbers, and using that to pray the word of God to God. So in Numbers 6, the priest was supposed to Give that blessing to the people, to pronounce that blessing to the people. Here, he's taking that blessing 
and he's praying the word of God. He doesn't say, bless them. He say, God, will you bless us? Will you shine a smile on us? And that's what he's doing here. Bless us. But he's, the purpose here is that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all the nations. But he's not only looking back to Numbers 6, he's also looking back to Genesis 12. And I think we have the passage here where God said to Abraham, go from your country and family to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in Genesis 12, verse 3, I read, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, and in you, all the peoples, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that is in Genesis 12, the, when God called Abraham to leave his family, to go to the land that he would give him. So Genesis 12 is the first interaction, let's put it this way, between the Lord and Abraham. Genesis 15 is the covenant between God and Abraham, and Genesis 17 is the fulfillment of that covenant. It's like the execution of that covenant when they received the sign of circumcision. But in Genesis 12, the promise was, I will call you and I will bless you. I'll be with you so that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In the first 11 chapters in Genesis, God is dealing with the whole of humanity, the entirety of humanity. Like Noah is the father of all nations. But in Genesis 12, he's zooming in, in, in one person, in Abram, and says, Abram, I will bless you so that you will become the vehicle through which my blessing will reach all the nations. So that is, the, but the same promise that was given to Abraham then is given to his children. And God confirms this promise in Genesis 22, verse 18, after Abraham presented Isaac. He says, In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If you see the languages in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So God is communicating here in Genesis 22 the promise he gave to Abraham in, verse 12, in chapter 12. But this promise is repeated to Abraham's son. To Isaac, in Genesis 26, verse 4, we see the same language. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, God is not speaking to Abraham. He's speaking to Isaac. And he's repeating to Isaac, the son of Abraham, the same promise that God gave to Abraham. And then in Genesis 28, verse 14, God speaks to Jacob. And in Genesis 28, verse 14, God says to Jacob, In you and your offspring 
shall all the, shall the families of the earth be blessed. So God promised to Abraham that in offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then he says that to Isaac, and then that he says that to Jacob. Psalm 67 is praying on that promise. He's asking the Lord that the blessing will come to us so that that blessing will go to the nations. But he's also looking forward to the day when the nations will be blessed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there's so many passages that we can look in the New Testament just to see the what I call the intratextual connection. Uh, is the Bible is interwoven. Everything is connected. It's not just 66 books staple in, together. No, it's just one story where God is redeeming sinful humanity in the person of his son for the sake of his name among all the people. So in Galatians then, just look at Galatians. And just to give you one idea of this. Galatians 3, unless verses 7 and 9. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians about the promise of God in Genesis 12. This is what he says in verses 7 through 9. I think we'll have it right here. Know then, that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Or Abraham. And the scripture, that is the Old Testament, foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. I mean, this is very bold. Paul says, when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, he was preaching the gospel to Abraham. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Then in verse 14, Paul says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, he's bringing back the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 16, he says, the promises were made let me move to Abraham and to his offspring. You see, the same language that we saw in 26, 28, Genesis 12, and to his offspring, to his son. It does not say unto his offsprings in the plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, in your offspring, in your seed, in your son, I meant one. And that one is Jesus Christ. So it is in Christ Jesus that we find the fulfillment to the promises to Abraham. And it is in Christ Jesus that the blessings of Abraham are received. So when we come to Jesus, we receive the blessing that was promised to Abraham, not because they were given to us, 
but because we are in union with Christ Jesus. So the prayer the psalmist is praying in the Holy Spirit that the blessing of God who reached the nations has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And you who are in Christ are the vehicle that God will use to take his blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And as they hear and they believe the gospel, they will be glad and the Lord will be honored and praised. And this is the point that he's communicating here. The blessing of God is this consistent help, care, provision of God himself. Where we cannot have the blessing without the giver. To have his blessing is to have him. Is to be known by God. And there's a lot of confusion in society today about being blessed. Uh, people will, I think, use that word to boast and to brag while presenting themselves as humble. You know, people will say, hashtag blessed. I have a new car. <laughs> hashtag blessed. A new vacation. Blessed. But it's a way for us to brag about what we have while presenting ourselves humble. But none, I mean, you will not find one verse, like the word blessed, blessing, is used in the New Testament, I think, 112 times. No one, not even one, you will find the word blessed connected with material prosperity. It is always with the favor and fellowship with God. When you go back to the Old Testament, Moses, in the book of Exodus, said to the people, when he was looking at the assembly of the people of Israel, he said, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. So to be blessed is to be known by him and to know him. To be in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the foundation of this passage. Now, and that's the main thought, so that we can see how this Psalm 67 brings the whole Bible together in the idea that we have been blessed to be a blessing. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is not something that just comes up in Matthew 28. It permeates the entirety of the Bible, the whole of Scripture. And this psalm is helping us to see that. So with that context, three practical points. The first one. Do not disconnect God's blessing in your life from his mission through your life. It's a long sentence. Use the gift, your gifts, for the advancement of the gospel. So do not disconnect God's blessing in your life from his mission through your life. Use the gift that God has given to you, entrusted to you, for the advancement of the gospel. The language used in Genesis 12 with Abraham and the language here in Psalm 67 is that we might be a blessing, that we might be blessed so that we will be a blessing to the nations. Think about that. Your language skills, 
your vocational skills, your academic skills, your athletic skills, your wealth, all of you have have been entrusted to you by God for his glory among the nations. So the, the gifts, the skills, the talents that you have, those have been entrusted to you by the God of creation, by the Lord, so that you will use those for the sake of his name among all peoples. The blessing of God is not intended to center on you, but to be expressed through you. Your life is meant to be a means by which God will express his blessing to use you as an instrument in his redeeming hands. Have you wondered, why has God blessed me the way he has blessed me? It is not for us to feel good about ourselves. It is for his name to be praised among the nations as we take the gospel to the nations. But the message that this culture is drilling in our minds day after day is, do what is best for you. We hear expression like, do you this is the radical individualism and the self-centered spirit that permeates our society today, which I think is killing the witness of the church. I want this for me. These are my plans. This is what is best for me. Even the church is meant to please me. I mean, it's so antithetical to the whole Bible. But everywhere we go, every TV program that we watch is drilling that message that is about me and about you. Marketing companies are selling you that the best thing you can do is to find joy and purpose in doing what is good for you. I mean, just think about the idea of, of the proliferation of therapists in our society is, is, I mean, unheard in human history. It's about how I feel, made me feel good about myself, and all of that. But that is not the message that we see through the whole Bible. You have been blessed in Christ Jesus so that you will be a blessing to others. I talk this with, in our church, we have a lot of uh, members who are in the senior age bracket. And I just talked with them. I said, can you just forget about those bucket lists? I mean, you look more like Morgan Freeman, something like that in one of those movies. You should know. That would be a waste of your life. <clears throat> Think about how God can use the knowledge, the resources that you have for the sake of his name among the nations. Perhaps the most fruitful years of your life will be your 60s and 70s. For this, when you use those years for the sake of the name of Jesus in this city. We have one of our members. She was saved when she was 45. She's 70 today. And she was saved. She grew in knowledge and the will of God. 
she in love with Jesus. And now she is going to Uganda in her 70s, three times a year, spending around a month in Uganda every time she goes, serving refugees that are coming from South Sudan because of the conflict in Sudan through the border as refugees. And now she is evangelizing children and helping women in need who lost their husbands. That is the picture here. And she's a, she was a nurse here in Tampa for many years. So now she's using those skills as a blessing, as a platform also for the sake of the gospel. And she's developing relationships with those women. So we don't do mission so that you get his blessing. It is because we have been blessed that we do mission. So mission is, a, is the result of us receiving the blessing of God that was promised to Abraham. And this is what the Psalms says. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and to make his face to shine upon us. Salah. If you see the Bible, if you, I hope you have your Bible open, uh, in verse 1, you don't see a period there. You see a comma. Verse 1 has a comma. So when he prays, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his, uh, his face to shine upon us, comma. The sentence is incomplete. So the point is not just bless me. There's a comma. We say, so that. Your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all the nations, period. So verse 1 is incomplete because the purpose of me asking God's blessing is not just for my sake. It's so that I will become the vehicle that that blessing will go to others. And that is the first point. Do not disconnect God's blessing in your life from his mission through you. Number two. Pray for a passion and zeal for God's, for Christ's glory among the nations. Pray for a passion and a zeal for Christ's glory among the nations. Verses 3 and 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Salah. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. So verses 3 and through 5 is a prayer of a great vision and boldness. The missionary work of the people of God leads to the worship of the Lord by the nations. These three verses make a beautiful connection between the mission and the worship. And if you see here in verses, verses 3 and 5, it's basically copy and paste. The psalmist just typed this, highlighted, copy, and paste the same verse again in verse 5. Let the people praise you, O God. That's verse 3. Let all the people praise you. Verse 5. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. It's, it's identical. It's the same one. So it's using that as a bracket. And in verse 4, you see in the middle, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. 
So the praise that we see in verse 3 and in verse 5, at the center is the knowledge and the gladness that we have in the Lord himself. And that's what he's doing here. The way he's kind of organizing the verses. Why? Because the gladness and the joy of the nations and the praise of the Lord among the nations is the result of the missionary work of God's people among the nations. Worship and missions connected. And I assume you have heard this quote from Justin. He loved the Treasure Treasure in Christ Network. So almost 35 years ago, Piper wrote this book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And there he says, and I, I, I assume that you have heard this quote, but let me quote it again. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not mission. Because God is ultimate, not man. When, he, when this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in mission. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of mission is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. So in heaven, there will not be evangelism, but there will be worship. And the reason we do evangelism is so that people can worship. Non-Christians cannot worship the Lord. It's only possible to worship the true living God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But people who do not have a relationship with Christ, a saving relationship with Christ, they cannot worship. So we go and we present the gospel and we evangelize people and we present the beauty and the majesty of Jesus so that they will see the beauty, the holiness, and the power of Christ, and they will turn away from their sins, come to Jesus, and then they will worship the Lord. So missions makes worship possible. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. He is the Lord of the nations. He created the nations. He sustains the nations. He is worthy of their praise. Not only the praise of those who are in this room, and not only the praise of the people of South Tampa, of West Tampa, of Lutz, of Brandon, but the people of all nations, the people of North Korea, the people of Afghanistan, of Iraq, of Jordan, of Yemen, of Argentina, of Chile, of Vietnam, of Venezuela, all the peoples, all the nations. Let all the peoples praise you, of God. Let them praise you. That's the point that he makes in verses 3 and verses 5. 
But the reality is that we cannot command what we do not cherish. We cannot pass on to others what we are not enjoying ourselves. The light and satisfaction in Christ will lead to a zeal for missions. So that is I'm asking you to pray for a passion and a zeal for Christ's glory among the nations. I tell my friends, nominal Christianity will never produce a passion for God's glory among the nations. It will not. I remember serving in the International Mission Board in Richmond, Virginia. And as, as Justin said, I, I was leading the work of mobilization in the U.S., working with churches, doing the, all the, the advancement, the fundraising for the organization and the marketing. And so I would go to speak to churches. But one day, somebody said, hey, this, this family that's been contacting us for days, and they want to talk with you. And I said, what is the problem? And I said, this family is complaining about a missionary uh, couple that applied. I said, okay, let's, let's, let's hear them. So this couple, members of a church in one of the states in the south, were contacting us so that we would reject their daughter and her husband as they were applying to go to one nation in West Africa. And they said, so this is what happened. This lady, this girl, she was raised by this family. And they were attending church. She was baptized when she was, I don't know, 10 in that church. And then she went to college. And in college, through a campus ministry, uh, she grew. And it was then connected to a local church. And through that local church, she met her future husband. And they both faithful in love with Jesus. And through that church, they developed a conviction and a passion to go to the nations. So now they're married. They have, I think they had two children, little children, three and two and four. And now they're praying and they have decided with the help of the pastors of that church to apply and to become full-time missionaries in West Africa. Her family, middle, high, middle-income family, said, you are out of your mind. You are crazy. Why are we going? We sent you to college. We pay for college. And now you're going to waste the education that you received to go to Africa? And they were asking us to reject them. This family, they are professing Christians. But, but they don't have a love for the nations. And I would say, to be generous, a weak understanding of the gospel and who God is. And I will tell you, a nominal view of Christianity would never produce a life-risking passion for the glory of Jesus among all peoples. 
that kind of idea of Christianity will not produce the missionaries that your church sent to with uh, uh, through radios and reaching and teaching. It will not. But here what we see is that the one who is in love, who has a passion, who has a zeal for Jesus, who have a passion and a love for the name of Jesus among all the nations. And we would not have a passion for missions if we are not cultivating a love for Jesus. It is that simple. That prayer, because Psalm 67 is a prayer, when the psalmist is praying this song, let the peoples praise you, O God, talks about an intimacy and a sweetness and an enjoyment of fellowship with God that is translated into a joy and passion for his name among all the peoples. If you tell me that you follow Jesus and you have no interest in the nations knowing, praising him, I don't know what you mean when you say that you follow Jesus. A friend recently said to me, how can a person who has been saved from eternal damnation, from hell, by the blood of Christ, can sit back and make excuses for not sharing the gospel with the rest of the world. It's very difficult to fathom. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations that he created for his glory and his praise. Pray for a zeal and a passion for the glory of Jesus among all the nations. And number three, and last one. Pray that you might display the just and loving character of the Lord. In verses 6 and 7, the earth has yielded of its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the, end, all the ends of the earth fear him. In verse 4 also, he said, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you, O Lord, judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. He is a just judge. He judges with equity. And he guides with the heart of a shepherd, the nation. The picture here in, in, in verse 4 is Psalm 23, where the Lord is leading, not rushing people, but leading them as a shepherd, loving them, feeding them, protecting them. This is something we all can be glad. He doesn't make distinction between one nation or the other. He loves all the peoples of the earth, and he wants all the people of the earth to know him and to love him and to praise him. So this verse asks that the Gentiles might come to know and praise God. Remember, this is before Jesus. The psalmist, he's, he's one of the Jewish people, and he's praying that the nations, the Gentiles... They will come, the pagans, they will come and know him and praise him. 
But how will the nations know about this God? By God's people displaying God's character. The people of God are supposed to be a visual proof of the existence, activity, and grace of God. John Stott, who was a pastor and a missionary, says, We claim to know, to love, and to follow Jesus. We say that he's our Savior, our Lord, and our friend, our brother. But what differences, difference does he make for you, ask the world? Where is their God? It might be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to the evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life of the saving power of God. And I think it's the same picture that we see in the Old Testament. And I think it's in Romans 2, 24, where Paul is quoting the Old Testament. He said, your name has been blasphemed among the nations. So the people of God in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, was supposed to be this beautiful picture that highlighted the love and the character and the holiness of God that would display his character to the nations, that the nations will be attracted to him, so to speak. Like Queen Sheba, when she came to Solomon, and she said, and she saw the wisdom that God has given to Solomon, she praised God, because how he has given Solomon wisdom. And the idea is that the people of God will highlight the character of Christ, display his character, so that people will be attracted to him through his people. And I think that's so important for us to understand as individuals and also as congregations, as churches. Because what you do in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, will invite people to know more about Jesus or will push people away from Jesus. Think about this. We have the t-shirt that says, Team Jesus. And if people see us, Actings in ways that are in opposition to the character of Christ, they will walk away from Jesus. But if we display the character of this good, gracious, holy, perfect, just God, people will be intrigued by him. Why will you love each other the way you love? Why you serve each other the way you serve each other? When perhaps you don't have much in common. Why? Because you are one in Christ Jesus. Because you are brought together by the blood of Jesus in the person of Jesus. I have a friend. I think we have a picture in a moment. I have a friend. He, he, we met when I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he used to work as a staffer uh, in, in Capitol Hill. Uh, and we were we went we went we were together in Washington D.C. at church. Then we moved within six months apart. We moved to Louisville, Kentucky. We were at the same church. And my friend one day received a call from another friend that was asking him if he wanted to pray to go to the Middle East to plant a church. I said to plant a church in the Middle East. Normally, you don't get a call about those. And if you know most of the places, most of the countries in the Middle East, you cannot just go and plant a church. 
So he went to the uh, AEU, AUE, uh, Arab United Emirates. So you have Dubai, which is kind of in the center. You have Abu Dhabi, which is kind of southwest. And then you have the desert in the northeast. So there was a few churches in Dubai. And one of the members of that church was working for, for the uh, emir, which is the prince, in one of the emirates, which is northeast, which is Russia Kaima. So my friend is contacted by this person. This person was the chief of staff. He is from London and leading all the finances of the emir. And the emir said to him, we, I want more people like you. He said to this Christian that was working for him. I said, what do you mean by, I, said, I want people like you. So what do you mean my people like me? You are so responsible, the way you work, your ethic, I trust you. I said, well, I am, I'm the one, I'm because of Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. What I do to you, I do it because I'm doing to Jesus. And I said, okay, I want more people like you, Christians. And he said, well, for you to have more people like me, Christians, they need to have a church. And in that region, we don't have a church. Remember, I have to drive to Dubai to go to church. Christians need churches. And I said, okay, they will have one church. I will give the land, and I will give the permission so that for them to build a church. You don't build a church in, in the Middle East unless you have the permission of the, of the government. So I will give, I, and he said, I will donate the land as long as you give, bring more Christians to me. So my friend, it was a process, fundraising, to build the building. I think, you have a picture right here, that is the church in the middle of the desert, in Rasa Kaima, and hundreds of people are hearing the gospel. Hundreds have been saved, and a faithful witness is in the middle of the desert, and the land was given as a gift from a Muslim emir. Because a Christian that was working for him was faithful and witnessed to him about the character of Jesus. Think about this. The doors that God will open for the sake of the gospel through your vocation. The ways that he has blessed you. The resources that he has entrusted to you. For the sake of his name, how people who are dead in their sins and trespasses can come to know Jesus and praise him and be redeemed and saved through you and your faithfulness. Pray that in your life, as an individual, as a family, you will display the loving, righteous, holy character of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord blessed us so that we will be a blessing to the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace and mercy in Christ. We give you thanks that in your great mercy, you sent your son, Christ Jesus, to live the perfect life that we should have lived, but we did not. To die for the penalties of our sin 
to receive the punishment that we all deserved. And he was buried. And three days after, you raised him from the dead, accepting his sacrifice as a valid substitute for anyone who will come to trust him, to put his faith, her faith in him. He is the son of Abraham, in whom all the blessings have their fulfillment. And all the promises of God are in amen, a yes, a yes in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we pray that this beautiful church, this sweet congregation, will continue to be a faithful witness about your saving power, about your grace, your holiness, your majesty in this community and in this city. And we pray for anyone who is, not, who is here who may not know you. I pray that you will give them conviction of sin, that they will see their need of Christ, and they will run to Jesus. Uh, perhaps even after the service, they will be led, prompted, to talk with one of the pastors or the members about how they can be redeemed and how they can know Jesus and worship him. Thank you for this church, for the witness of this congregation, for her leadership, for Justin. Bless them and continue to use them and to raise missionaries to go to the nations to make the name of Christ known where his name has not been proclaimed. Not been proclaimed. Bless them. Be with them. And we love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.